Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 242 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is October 15th, 2012. Cannot believe we're already halfway through the month of October, but we've got a great show for you this week on the Peristyle Podcast, talking all about USC's, I guess I'm going to go quote-unquote victory over Washington 24-14 in Seattle, one of the toughest places to play. But the, the questions we're getting... Not very positive, but we're going to get to all of those. We'll answer as many as possible. We're going to talk to Dan Weber later on the show. Coach Harvey Hyde will be up in the first segment. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. We'd appreciate it if it's not a 10-paragraph email. Try to keep it short so we can read it on the podcast. You can also call us, 206-888-6755, or go to peristylepodcast.com and leave a voicemail right on the webpage. Again, leaving a two and a half minute voicemail is not going to get it played on the podcast. Try to keep it 30 seconds, 45 seconds, something like that. We can play it and get on with the show. Without further ado, I want to get to Coach Harvey Hyde. Coach, what's up, sir? How you doing? Well, Ryan, how are you, buddy? I know you went to Seattle and uh, got in late last night. I was in Vegas this weekend for an event and had to be there, but did not meet, miss the USC uh, game, obviously to be able to talk about it on the pregame show, postgame show, and now with you on your podcast. So I'm ready to go, and uh, I'm ready for any uh, questions that might be out there. And uh, I hope everyone had a great weekend. I had a great weekend in Vegas. You uh, you had a pretty good one up there in Seattle. At least it didn't rain on you. I thought it might rain on you. Yeah, that but, was nice. But welcome back home, buddy. Thank you very much, Coach. We did have a good time. We got a little rain on yesterday when we were doing some uh... – sightseeing but i you know i was on the sidelines filming that game and it was loud it was loud on that field for sure and uh we were lucky you had a trash bags ready to cover up the cameras but didn't rain so we got lucky there and uh before we jump into everything wanted to thank our sponsor southern california tickets you go to sctickets.com call 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything usc's got a bunch of home games five of the next six games will be in los angeles so Go to sctickets.com, and they will hook you up with tickets. And, Coach, we do have a lot of questions. I had to condense some of these, like I said in the opening. There was a lot of really long rants, and uh, we're going to save the long rants for you and Dan maybe. Um, but we're going to – I guess I'll combine a few of these. But the first thing we want to talk about, and, and we've got a lot of questions on this, is why is the passing game out of sync? People are bringing up there's penalties, uh, teams lining up wrong, there's drop balls. Players reporting in late, they have to call timeout because they can't get the, the playoff. And um, Brian, Tarian, Chris and San Pedro all questioning that and talking about, is it coaching? Is there a coaching problem problem here? And I thought you as a former coach would be best one that could answer that for us. Well, you know, I, I wish I could pinpoint it. Uh, there are always reasons you think about that, that cause these type of things. Number one is lack of communication. Obviously, the word's not getting out there as far as what unit you want on the field or what positions you want on the field, and it's not maybe being called early enough to 
not get these delay of game penalties or illegal illegal procedure penalties. And I, when I see so many of these illegal procedure penalties, I, I say maybe it's a little bit too complicated. You know, almost every single formation or every single play has a motion or somebody shifting or somebody uh, doing something on every single play. There isn't anybody really set all the time. And a lot of times kids are thinking, thinking rather than playing. And it's very difficult to think, oh, I'm going in motion this time, and then I've got this guy when I get on the other side of the field to block or what route I do. Sometimes it's better when you have better athletes to just let your athletes line up and just snap the ball and go play. I think I mentioned it last week on our show when I said many times I would just bring a team out and say, hut, and we'd run the ball. Or we'd say, check with me on the line of scrimmage, get into this formations, and our quarterback would look to see what the defensive was, the defense was, and if it was run, he'd audibleize to this play. And if it was a pass, he'd audibleize to that play. Because you can't cover the whole field. You can, but somewhere I, you're, I'm going to have one of my better athletes on one of your athletes that might not be as good as that athlete. So it's always, uh, I think, a reason of thinking. You're not focused. You're, you're thinking rather than playing or you're not communicating with your players as far as, you know, did they get the, the formation? Uh, are the kids up and standing on the sideline with their helmets on? So they're involved in the game. So when you say field goal, the field goal team runs in there, and they don't forget the snapper or holder or somebody. And when you're uh, uh, into the game all the time and you're communicating with your players all the time, with your units, and your players are with you all the time, then there's a chance. I'm not saying it's all going to be perfect, but there's a chance you can eliminate a lot of these type of problems. Now, on our walkthroughs every Friday, we made sure we try, we practiced all these things, our game management, our bench management, all the things that you're supposed to do because every second makes a difference in a football game. Some of the other penalties, such as holding penalties or penalties like that, well, <clears throat> those aren't called for, but they sometimes happen by accident. Uh, Walker got called for one where he got hooked in there on one play. You know, you can let it go or you can call it as an official. Some are so close that it's hard to really call, and right now they are maybe over-officiating, but they're officiating the games. I, uh, you know, and I think, too, that the receivers have got to be not looking for the pass infer- interference call, but just run your route. And you've got to also have routes called that work against certain coverages. And, uh, you know, if you're going to defense USC, who are you going to take out of the game first? The receivers. The two great receivers. You're all Americans, Woods and Lee. So going to the game, understanding that, and have an alternate plan as far as how you can get them back into coverages where they can't do what they're doing. So in, <clears throat> in short but not long, that's basically what I think. Okay. Um, well, you know, and I think some people heard you on the Trojan brunch and you were a little critical about the way the, this USC offense ran. And I wanted to give you a chance to, to comment on that. But Greg uh, in uh, Benicia, I think you say, California, he said, you preach about being physical and running the football when the other team expects it. And that's something we did talk about on previous shows. He says, well, that's what USC did against Washington. Why are people so upset, you know, talking about this team, you know, kind of taking the the run first approach as opposed to uh, throwing the football over the field. What are your thoughts on that? That's from Greg. Well, Greg, the reason I was preaching that is in the first games early in the season, they had abandoned the run. 
and they weren't good at the run. And they needed the run to be balanced. You have to be able to run the ball and pass the ball equally as well when you have great players. That sets up your play-action pass and all of the things that go along with your total offense. That's why I made mention that there's too many things going on and not enough of just a series. Like when you talk about running the football, they had 299 total yards of offense. And if you listened yesterday, you know what I'm talking about. This is a repeat. 155 of them just came from a Reds on his rushing, but 58 of those were just on the first play. A lot of the rushes were down in third and 17 situations and third and 12 situations where really Washington didn't care if you made eight yards or nine yards, but you still had to punt the ball in a third down and 17 or third and 12 and you come up short. You've got to be able to run the football on first down and second down and stay on schedule and then have your play action pass be there. And you've got to stretch the field with your run. You just can't run on the same place all the time. In the first half, they ran all of their plays to the right. In the second half, they ran most of their plays to the left. The only outside play that they ran totally, and I don't want to be negative. This is construction. This is like if you were sitting in a staff meeting with me on Sunday morning and I was the head coach and my coaches came in, I'd say, this is what I saw Saturday, and this is what we've got to work on. We won, but, okay? I saw my offensive players hanging their head. Why? It isn't all their fault. Some of it's ours. Well, when you get out, you've got to stretch the field with the run. The only way they stretched the field with the run on Saturday was a bootleg by Matt Barkley. Well, defenses aren't fearing Matt Barkley Barkley running the football. So immediately when they say bootleg, what are they going to play? Pass. They'll play pass. He ran one time and slid. He made seven yards, came up short. We, we are, SC doesn't run option, but you can't take a chance of hitting your quarterback on options, and he's not a running type of quarterback. So you run, you got to get outside with some type of play. Like the toss, you got to make him fear the, the toss, and you got to make those corners come up and tackle people, not just cover people. And you got to make sure that you're, that you set those plays up where you physically punish people to the outside with those corners. They just can't be concerned all the time with the receiver. So maybe this year so far, I'm guessing now, I don't have the stat, maybe they've run six toss plays in, what, six games or whatever. I'm guessing. But you've got to be able to stretch the field outside, inside, off tackle, in the middle of the field. I don't think they've run their football or their fullback maybe one time this year. He's either a lead blocker, and sometimes he's in the pass route. I mean, what's wrong with this? A quick little reverse and hit the trap or hit the fullback straight up the middle. He's, when you're in the I formation, what play is it? It's either bootleg or power lead. So you get sometimes formation tendencies. And what happens, this is uh, Coach Kiffin's, what, third year? Well, people study the films all year long. And they get to get tendencies on you and understand thoughts of what coaches call and certain hash marks, and there's tendencies. So you can do too much, and you really don't have a series. And if you're a football coach out there or a player that played, you had the power series, and off the power series, you had the quick trap with the eye, or you had the draw off the eye, or you had play action pass off the eye, or you had bootleg off the eye, or you had different plays off the eye. Uh, and off the toss series, you had the toss, you had the toss pass, you had the reverse. You, you set up different things. You have the toss 
screen back to the back way. You have fake toss and hit the post down the middle. Yeah, you have different things that you do off of series, and right now I don't see series in the USC offense. Now, this is what I'm telling my staff on a Sunday morning, not being critical but being positive on what we need to do to get by Arizona State, not Colorado, Arizona State, UCLA, Notre Dame, Oregon. I'm talking about these teams are different type of teams. You can't be penalized. You can't have delay of games. You can't have formation tendencies. You can't force the football. And you can't rely on your defense to win every game. The offense at USC scored 17 points. Seven points were by a block punt. Defense had five sacks, two interceptions, two fumble recovers. And they have to recover fumbles down there on the end zone or else they're going to lose this football game. And they miss a field goal, shake a field goal. So they haven't finished or they haven't put teams away. When you're up 24-7 at halftime, this should be a 48-14 football game. It really should be because the crowd was out of the game. The crowd was out of the game, and they came back into the game, and it became a great football game. So this is what I'm telling my staff. I'm not telling you. I'm telling my staff on a Sunday morning. Guys, I don't like to see my offensive kids hang their heads when I have great players. I don't want my quarterback to start doubting himself. I don't want my quarterback to have to make perfect passes every single play, like to Grimble or to Woods on that big play across the middle, to score. That pass to Grimble had to be perfect. And Matt Barkley threw it right in there. I want my kids to have pride in themselves. And we've got to clean this up. That's what I'd say. Uh, great one there, Coach. And you mentioned something that, that I witnessed on the sidelines, too. That the crowd was out of the game. And it was a perfect opportunity. It's set up for USC. And I think that's part of the fan reaction is that they knew this could have been a blowout game going into that and coming out of halftime just laying an egg and I think uh, getting three and outs on three of the first four drives and you really let the crowd back into the game and then it changed the it changed everything it was going to change the philosophy uh the way Kiffin was going to call the game and it and it really hurt I think when you saw the BCS rankings we're going to talk about that a little bit later but the the second half the halftime adjustments is something we need to talk about we had two voicemails that were both like three minutes long so we can't play them but Al from Pennsylvania and uh, Rob both wrote in and, and talking about the struggles in the second half and, you know, where are the halftime adjustments? How are the coaches kind of getting involved there? It, and I'm not sure if you realize this, Coach, and we, I started this, I tweeted this out, and I actually tweeted the wrong stat. I said USC was shut out in three times in the third quarter of their six games. It was actually four in the last four. So they, USC hasn't scored a point in the third quarter since the Syracuse game, which is it was mind-boggling when you when you think about it. And they've been they've never won the third quarter. They've been, they've never outscored an opponent all year in the third quarter. Not against Hawaii, not against Syracuse, and they didn't score in the other the other parts. So people want to know what's going on with the halftime adjustments. Are there too many adjustments? Not enough adjustments? What do you think is going on there? Well, of course, you know I'm not in the locker room, so I don't know what's going on in there. Uh, their best quarter going into the Washington game was the second quarter. They had scored 60 points and had 13 points scored against them. That was their best quarter going into the game. 
hell, there goes my phone. I'm having people call me already on what I'm saying. <laughs> but uh, let me turn this thing off, guys. Now you know it's really a live show, okay? Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know what goes on at halftime in the USC locker room. I haven't been invited to be in there, and I don't want to be in there because I like to be able to talk about what I see. I'm not in there to make adjustments, and obviously the coaches – are seasoned great coaches, and they know what the adjustments is you're supposed to do. But normally what I used to do, and here's what I used to do, is we'd gather, first of all, as a group of coaches, and I'd be there with my offensive staff and defensive staff and special teams coach uh, in a room. And I would tell them what I saw during the game and what we need to clean up. I would uh, say, this is working, but they're going to make adjustments at halftime. They're going to take that away now. When we go out there, we're not going to see that anymore. They're going to take that play away, so make sure you're prepared to adjust to what we've been doing, that if they don't take it away, great, we'll keep doing it, but if they take it away, we know what we're coming back with to counteract that so that we now know that, okay, we've established that. Let's now establish something else because they've taken that away. But you can't stop everything, especially when you have better players, and I still think that USC's got great players and great talent and they're playing hard. The kids are trying to play hard, and they really are. Um, then what we do is break, and then they, they go to individual meetings. They go with their defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, and special teams. And I would go to each coordinator, and I would tell each coordinator what I thought. And then I'd let him take that to the assistant coaches. And then what we do is they, they break it up, then the official would come in and say, Coach, you got three minutes or five minutes for going out. I'd call a whole team up. And I'd tell them what I thought was going on during the first half. And if it was positive, it was positive. If it was negative, they sure as hell knew it was negative. And I'd make sure they knew it one way or another. Uh, it's, whether it's waking someone up or doing what I need to do, what I thought as a professional coach to make sure we went back in the second half, I would make sure that the halftime score means nothing. No one reads a halftime score in the newspaper. It's never up there. It's always the final score. And then we'd take the field again, and I'd see if we were following exactly what we were supposed to do with our adjustments and what we'd see if, if they were stopping what we were successful with in the first half or if we weren't successful at all, what we'd done to adjust to it. Because uh, if you don't have good players, then it doesn't make any difference what you do. you got to have great players, okay? And this is something USC has. So you got to put them in a position where they can win. you got to put them in a position where they're not thinking, but they're using their God-given ability in playing football. And you got to spread the fields, and you got to put them in positions where you can complete passes and give them an opportunity to catch a pass. Like if it's third and 12, you don't have to throw a fly route every time. We'll run a curl. Run three curls. Everyone curls. Slide to the open area. Uh, you know, there's so many different things that you can do. Uh, to to be able to uh, take advantage of down and distance in your favor and hope that that you know, enables you to be successful. Third down conversions have been a terrible thing so far this year. I don't know what they were this, this past week, what, two for ten or something, but I didn't have the Times newspaper to read the stats in Vegas. But third down conversions have got to be improved. Staying on schedule has got to be improved. Finishing the football game's got to be improved. You've got to keep the heads up of your football players. They can't be embarrassed with their performances. Their overall performance of the team 
has got to be important. It's a team effort. It's not a special teams. It's not an offense. It's not a defense. It's the entire team. So you've got to continue to build on that. And uh, I loved what the defensive said. We had their backs. But also I got some comments out of the offense, too, that they were somewhat embarrassed by their performance. And you can't help but say when Matt Barkley's 10 for 20 for 167 yards and our great receivers only catch a couple of passes and the tight ends aren't getting the football and, and different things in the middle of the field is wide open. And we're not stretching the defense. So people like us and are second-guessing people. We're not second-guessing people. We're just looking at it as a football person. And we're trying to say, what would we do? And that's why I tried to explain it to our listeners today. If I was in a staff meeting, this is what I'd be telling my coaches. I'm not, and, and, and I want to put you in that position because this is what a head coach's responsibility is to be able to sit back and evaluate what's working and what's not working and then telling people what they should do to have it work. Uh, Coach, I do need to correct you on something. You said that, the, that people don't talk about the, the the halftime score. Well, USC's halftime score was the exact same as their final score, so they actually were talking about oh, it. Oh, yeah. that's your, <laughs> Yeah, you know what? You know what? You're exactly right. I'm, I stand corrected, but I never expected that to happen. But really, you're right. They put it on the front page, right? The halftime score. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, well, you mentioned like some of the curls and things like that in the down and distance. I, I believe USC was two of twelve on third down. And here's one concern I thought you might want to talk about. Like one issue I saw there was third and one. I, I they're around USC was around the thirty or something like that. They're you know going about to go in. It they get to the line of scrimmage. It just seems like they take way too long to snap the football. False start. And you move it back. Third and one. Third and six. Couldn't you know night and day. You know different. Uh, it just didn't work and. They end up getting to, to fourth down, and you see Matt Barkley dropping back, and some of Anuku, who you know wasn't really all that involved, streaking down the field. Robert Woods, you know, ended up in the end zone. Everything was like a, it was almost like a hail mary to the end zone, as opposed to trying to pick up the six yards you needed for the, the first down. And um, at, at the end of the game, coach, they they turned on some sprinklers and. Uh, they they covered up the the Seahawk logo in the middle of the field with a, a huge tent thing, and I guess they were going to repaint it or they're protecting. I'm not sure what they were doing, and I'd made a comment that well, I think Lane Kiffin did his part to protect that logo because you never saw a pass pattern over the middle of the field, and I didn't know if it's something that is it inherently risky to to run like a little like you said a curl or something, slant something over the middle of the field where you can kind of get you know, in the soft spots of zones and try to pick up eight yards. And, it, it you know, it seems to work for most teams. And, and for whatever reason, we haven't seen that happen a whole lot. I don't know if there's some risk-reward with throwing the football over the middle, but it seems like that's the easiest way to, to pick up when you need five or six yards. It seems you can pick up eight or nine fairly easy. I think a lot of fans aren't sure why USC's not doing that more. I'm not, I don't know why they're not doing it. Every play's risky, but if you, know, if you, op, if you execute it properly... It's not any riskier than any other play. I mean, all plays uh, are risky. If it's third and one, of course, you probably have a better percentage of running the football and getting it, but you have to throw, you have to block, and then, of course, you have to complete the pass. But I think one of the best examples of that, did you see what Washington did with their tight end during the end of the game? That kid was tearing them up, and uh, nobody even knows his name. I can't even pronounce it. But uh, uh, 82, I think his number was, or 88. It, tight ends are our are, are, are number one draft choices. 
I mean, they're a mismatch with people. They're normally 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. They're big. They're strong. It's very difficult for a defensive back to cover a tight end. And if the linebacker's covering, there's different ways that you make your moves where you beat the linebacker's coverage. Uh, you know, if it's man on you, fine. And you just find out where he's playing you inside, outside. If he's playing you head up, you make a move one way or the other, and you come back inside and curl up and or do what you need to do. But, no, you're right. The middle of the field is 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 a great area to throw the football on, on third-down situations. If you remember, they hit Woods coming across once on a cross pattern across the middle. Now, it had to be a nice play. But after he caught the ball, I think he ran 10, 15 yards, 27-yard gain or something like that. Those areas are great areas to throw the football. And uh, they just don't do it enough. And I don't think that, you know, by trying to – always run the fly there was one pattern they threw and i think you know i don't want to be pick out one play here and there but there was three guys in the same area short side of the field you had the tight end you had a receiver and you had somebody else all three in the same area obviously there was confusion there that's confusion there's players that know they're not supposed to all be in the same area they didn't know didn't get the right call or something was wrong so yeah and that was a big play third down play i think it was and the ball was overthrown over their head or something but uh, I think that, you know, these are things as if I was a head football coach and you asked me these questions, I would say to my staff, totally unacceptable. Unac- We've got to be able to put our players in a position where they can win better. Now they've won. And Coach Kiffin keeps saying, we came back from Washington to win. They certainly did. They certainly came back with the win and they got that win. But I'm talking about teams that are coming up, you got to be ready to play these teams because they can't wait to play you. That's their game. They had their largest crowd yesterday, the University of Washington, or Saturday at Central League Field. Their largest crowd of the year. It wasn't for Stanford. It won't be for homecoming unless that was homecoming. I have no idea. Couldn't care less anyway. I mean, this is the way it is for USC, and this is why you go to USC. You want to take your show on the road, man. You don't want to disappoint them. They had to pay more money for their tickets than any other game. You want to leave there with them saying, you know what? I can see why you want to be a Trojan. This is all part of the philosophy of USC. And uh, that's why we're talking like that. If we were another school, we'd be saying, wow, we're 5-1. and one. Yeah, that we're 5-1. and one. Or not we, I shouldn't keep saying that. Yes, SC's 5-1, and one, but is that what you're playing for? You're playing for conference championships, Rose Bowl, and national championships at USC, and, and I think that's what it's all about. All right, Coach, we've got a couple more. Here's a, here's a voicemail question uh, from Al. Here you go. Hi, uh, my name is Al. Again, I'm calling, and I don't expect this message to be aired. Maybe not either one of them because I'm leaving too. But I would like to say, uh, Coach Kiffin is very young, and I truly believe he will be a great coach at USC. I think he'll be the best coach we ever had if we give him a chance, and not we, but if you know if he decides to stay, because we look at it each year, he gets better and better. He's a very smart guy and uh, analytical, and it takes time for things to work out. This is a big 
big-time program, one of the best programs in the country, and we all know that. And uh, so this guy has a lot to deal with, a lot. He has a lot of people to please and a lot of things to overcome. And um, and Lane Kiffin, I trust. Uh, It's just frustrating sometimes because we expect so much out of USC. And uh, I'm behind him 100%. Thank you and fight on forever. Al, I like that. That's great that you said that because I feel the same way. He's an outstanding young man. He got put in the White House. And uh, to be in the White House, it's very difficult to keep everybody happy. That's what USC is. I, I like to compare it to the President of the United States, the White House. And he's got a lot of uh, responsibility in the White House. And there's a lot of people that judge him. And uh, first of all, he's a good-looking young man, which is easy to market. He fits the image of USC. Uh, he's a great recruiter. His staff is a great recruiter. Obviously, we all know that. Uh, being there in this pressure situation is a very difficult situation to satisfy everyone. I just went through that. Everyone is trying to beat USC. Uh, Sometimes uh, everyone is too harsh. As you mentioned, they expect too much. With all the off-season promotions and Bartley coming back and TJ and the recruiting classes and all of that, it's put additional pressure on this team. Not just on Lane Kevin, but the whole team. The whole team uh, is thinking they're letting people down. And that's exactly right. That's what they're thinking because they've read this and they're hype and they want all the people that support USC football and the nation to realize who they are. So this is why they have to be positive. I'm trying to be positive only to the point of saying, how do you correct so they can be positive? And I think that he will be a great coach. I think it's a huge job. I'm just going to tell you this, a huge job to be a head football coach at USC and still be an offensive coordinator. Huge. He's got press conferences. He's got eligibility problems. He's got to meet with the athletic director. He's got to do this. He's got to do that. It's a tough job. He's got to break down offenses, defenses meet with his staff, it's a tough job. So he's got double duty, and when you've got double duty, he's getting double bullets. If you don't win big enough, it's Coach Kiffin. If the offense isn't running like it's supposed to, it's Coach Kiffin. Uh, so that's why I think this type of thing is happening. He's got a lot on his shoulders. I think that he's, oh, he's a likable person. I tell you, every time I talk to him, he's very respect, respectable. I like having him on the shows. When I have him on the pregame show, he's absolutely fantastic. At the last game of the year, he always comes on. I try to get him out of bed in the morning to come down and have breakfast with me down at the Shade Hotel. And he's just a wonderful guy. And I agree with you. He's growing up. And he's finding out what it is to be a head coach. A lot of people think it's easy to be a head coach. I want you to know, it is not easy to be a head football coach on any level. If some of you coach out there, you know the parents, how they get on you, and even Pop Warner or junior high or high school. Everybody's got an opinion. And uh, that's one thing that 
that, uh, you know, you can't really listen to. you got to do what got you there. And I think it's very important not to change. It's very important to be yourself. But I think it's very important, too, to be able to listen to people. I'm not talking about me, but I'm talking to your staff members and other people in order to help you obtain your goals, people you respect. And I remember last week, I think he talked to Pete Carroll to get some advice on something. And I think it's very good that you do that. Hey, Coach, one last thing before we let you go. It's actually, a, I'm going to read it off my phone. It was a late email right as we were taping the show. It it came in, but it was from it's international, so I want to get it on here. It's uh, Stephen in Seoul, Korea. So uh, thanks for writing in, Stephen. And he had a question about the BCS standings. USC, it came out that USC is number 11 in the initial BCS standings. He goes, I know Coach Hyde's thoughts on the rankings and how absurdly biased towards SC they are, uh, the SEC they are. It seems every year the computers and press are all over the SEC if you know what I mean, cannot fathom how Florida is ranked higher than Oregon. I look at Alabama's schedule and laugh, but I understand why they are number one due to the team being defending national champs. What I don't understand is the constant overlooking of the Pac-12. SC should be in the top eight, in my opinion, and I know that after we beat Notre Dame and Oregon, we should get uh, uh, we better get that national title shot because nobody has a harder schedule than SC. The SEC is so overrated, it disgusts me. So uh, that's from... Stephen in Seoul, Korea. Stephen, I'll tell you, when I saw the BCS rankings this morning, I didn't see them yesterday because I was traveling. I felt the same way you did. I do a weekly poll, and I have USC 7th, okay? I look at some of the people that they have above USC, and then I look at as a, a coach, okay? I say the number one team in the country is the team I'd least want to play the coming week. If I was preparing for a game, I have it number one, this team, number two, this team, number three, this team. And right now, currently, the way USC is playing, I have them seventh. And if you look at the coaches' poll, I, I evaluate and respect the coaches' poll more than any other poll. Because these guys know what's going on. At least I hope they do. And they had SC ninth. Now, when SC starts to play good, better than what they're playing, they're going to move up because they know it the potential of USC. I don't want to play them. Now, I look at the number one team in the country. Everybody's got Alabama number one. Well, you know what? I don't have number one. I have them co-number one with Oregon. Why? Because I think they got the best defense in the country, but their offense can't compare with Oregon. So if I'm preparing for a game, I'm saying – if I'm the offensive coordinator, I say, I don't want to play against Alabama's defense. If I'm the defensive coordinator, I'm saying, I don't want to play against Oregon's offense. So I make him co-number one. I make him co-number one right now, today. But as you say, you know, Alabama with its reputation, and they are the national champion. Everyone's thinking the Southeastern Conference, and they're the best in Florida is what, three? Please give me a break. Sure, they had a couple of good games, but that's all right. Who they beat LSU, and I can't. Who they beat Vanderbilt last weekend? Not quite sure. I think it was Vandy. Uh, give me a break. I, I agree with you. Uh, they play each other now, so it's the battle of you know the. And don't get me wrong. If you if Southeastern Conference is a great conference, yes, they won all the national championships the last several years. They have. They really have. Uh, but. Overall, as a conference, are they really the best? Yes, right now I'd say they are, and I'd say the Pac-12 is number two, no matter what anybody thinks out there. 
So uh, we'll see what happens. And, uh, you know, the rankings, it's early. The first BCS poll comes out. You know, you look at all these polls. And I'm, if you're on a poll, I'm sorry. But who are these guys doing these polls? I mean, what do they know about college football? Well, what do they know about who's got the best team that you want to prepare against to play or who you don't want to play? I haven't seen all the teams. All I've done is seen them, and that's why I broke down Alabama and Oregon for you. Some of these polls, they say, mean so much. I think, what, the computer poll? Who in the hell's on the computer poll? I have no idea who it is. I mean, maybe you guys know, but I don't know. So, you know, all these polls and all this stuff, you know, that's great. But I look at it as a coach, as, as who and who do I want to play? And that's the way I make my poll, Ryan. Makes sense, Coach. All right, well, I know we went a little long, kind of long. I don't care, man. i I got to talk a little bit with my friends out there. I love it. Well, some of them might not be my friends, but, but I hope you are. <laughs> you have a lot of friends. Well, Coach, we appreciate, as always, uh, getting your insight. And uh, USC's got Colorado coming up this weekend to finally get some some home games after four out of five on the road. So we'll see how the, the Uf, USC offense responds to that. But thanks again, coach. We appreciate you coming on. I want to thank you. And you know who I want to thank? I want to thank Southern California ticket this weekend when we were in Vegas, they got my family tickets to Elton John. It is a great show. Now I couldn't go obviously because I was watching the USC game, but it was absolutely fantastic. And with all the home games now in the Coliseum, you're going to, I've read they're all sold out except I think the Arizona state game. So if you're going to need to get tickets, call them and Brian, tell them how they reach Southern California tickets. And uh, again, thank you very much. Yeah. Go to sctickets.com. It's pretty simple. It's really easy to remember. Go there, check it out and you get tickets for anything over at sctickets.com. Well, thanks again, coach and everyone else. Hey, we'll be back in 30 seconds talking more USC football with Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast talking about USC's victory over the University of Washington up in Seattle at CenturyLink Field. And Dan Weber was there up in the press box. We wanted to get his thoughts and have him answer a bunch of your questions. We have a lot more questions to get to. I know we had a lot in the first half of the show. Obviously some people upset Dan. There's been a, there's been emotions kind of all over the place. Uh, how was your trip up there? And did you, did you enjoy it up there in Seattle? Well, you know, I do like that stadium. I think it's the best in the NFL. Uh, and it's really, uh, just the, uh, I don't know if I'd like sitting in the top, you know, sections and, uh, you know, I was the, uh, when I was a high school coach in Cincinnati, I was a nice stadium superintendent at Riverfront Stadium. That was my, uh, my summer job that expanded to like six or seven months a year. And I know this, if you were in the top reaches of, you know, one of those combo football, baseball stadiums, uh, that was exciting just making the trip up and, and down because they were so steep. 
but uh, Seattle's probably uh, CenturyLink Field, the steepest I've ever seen. It's great for sound. We noticed when we walked on the field at the end of the game, the sound is just washing down. You were down there the whole game, but the way the sound is directed, it's like a you know 66,000 seat uh, uh, basketball arena basically, and, and close to the field, and with two thirds of the roof covered and all that. Uh, it really keeps the sound in. So uh, I think I was listening to some of the NFL guys yesterday saying people have no idea how tough it is to go in there and play until they actually do for the first time. And then now that Pete's got a, a pretty good team, uh, it's really tough to beat a team on that field uh, with their, fa- their fans do a heck of a job. And uh, so I think, you know, that maybe USC didn't get as much credit for that part of it, uh, and I think part of that was that they had gone to uh, Utah the week before, or, you know, the game before, and kind of handled that similar situation, not as big a stadium, but the same kind of sound and crowd right there. And I thought that they, they seemed to handle the whole crowd thing, uh, you know, pretty well. For example, Stanford probably didn't handle it uh, so well, you know, a couple of weeks before. So, uh so that was probably one of the things that USC did that maybe they don't get credit for. But but I, but I enjoyed uh, That's a great place to watch a football game. Yeah, and I was down there on the sidelines filming, like you said. Certainly loud down there. And you could, even though you know it's an NFL stadium, you think you get this college fan base moving to an NFL stadium. It's not the home stadium that they're used to. They still filled it up pretty well and obviously brought down the noise. And there's, you know, we'll, we'll discuss what that did to USC during these questions and stuff. I wanted to jump in this first one. I thought it was a... And interesting. Here's a here's a voicemail question. I guess we'll start you off with Dan. Hello, Ryan and Mr. Weber. It's Kara Webb from San Uh This week's question relates to, in short, what's the identity of the team right now? It looks like, just judging from the comments made by Coach Kiffin and uh, you know Matt Barkley after the game, that they're pretty much, you know, that Coach Kiffin really doesn't trust his offensive line enough to go deep downfield, you know, um, unless he has to. So it, it seems like he's trying to rely more on his defense. He seems to have gained more trust more trust in his defense than his offense. Is that a fair assessment? And how would you um, characterize the, you know, the identity of the team at the moment? Thank you for your time. Hope you have a nice day. Take care. And then again, this is your win. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Another really good question. Uh, it's one I asked uh, Lane at the, you know, uh, his conference call last night. And he, I don't think he's going to ever completely come out and admit it, but it certainly looks to me like that they have decided that breakdowns in the run game on the offensive line aren't going to hurt them as much as breakdowns in the pass game. And, if I had to put, you know, my finger and say this is the one thing, the one deciding factor that's caused them to kind of go in the direction they have, more more running the ball, more uh, reliance on defense, more being conservative, more not pushing, you know, uh, you know, pushing the pedal to the metal and all that kind of thing. It's uh, the breakdown, the the feared breakdown in uh, pass blocking, in offensive uh, line somewhere. And uh, when you look at all the, you know, the, the false starts, you look at the number of times they're really not uh, mentally in a play, 
or the hold. You know, for example, they'll make a play like the you know the deflection uh, touchdown catch catch by Marquise Lee, and they get a, they get a hold that, that negates that. So uh, uh, I think the penalty situation is is, is become critical, uh, and um, they don't seem to have an answer yet. It obviously didn't have one Saturday. So uh, uh, I think that probably, if you had to guess, that would be the direction you'd say. Uh, the personality is coming from uh, essentially uh, uh, the offensive line has to prove itself. Last year they did. I think they finally, I think they realized, you know, Matt Khalil could cover almost everything and the other four guys could take care of the rest of it. Uh, Without Matt Khalil, the other four don't quite seem to be able to step up. uh, And then the difference between, you know, Matt Khalil and Andre Walker and the uh, the penalty issues and all the other things. I mean, you know, McAleer would get a penalty every once in a while, where it was easy for running over and hitting somebody, sending a message to him that <laughs> he didn't like what they were doing. <laughs> Whereas, uh, uh, so it's a real issue. I mean, I think they've got to, you know, figure out some ways in practice to get this corrected. And I think, I think part of the problem. This is me as the old former high school coach. Part of the problem is. I think there's uh, when you talk to people, they say guys have to take better notes and they got to pay more attention. I think there's a kind of an overemphasis on the mental side of the game for guys that need to get uh, what they're doing more ingrained into their muscle memory and the kind of full speed under pressure repetition that you get in practice, but maybe not at USC's practices. It seems like you watch them practice. It looks more like an NFL team practicing. Problem is, it's not an NFL team practicing. Got a lot of 19 and 20 year olds out there, and uh, I, I just think I'd like to see them more full speed, under pressure practice, where they get a sense of confidence and they're not having to think and think and think about everything. I know Lane mentioned one of the interesting comments yesterday about not scoring after intermission and four straight third quarters was he thought it, you know, could be a statistical, you know, glitch and that they're playing better in the second quarter and the fourth quarter, certainly than last year. Uh, Is it, are they giving him too many adjustments at halftime, too much stuff to think about that he would think about that. I hope they think about it a lot, about the terms of the mental approach to the game and the physical approach to the game. I mean, so many of the penalties are strictly discipline, uh, uh, the false starts, all under their control completely. And, uh, you know, they just aren't handling that part of the game really well. And maybe if you can't handle it, you know, you change, uh, say they change the count. I swear when USC changes the count, they mostly uh, get themselves to move, not the other team. Uh, so uh, I think they've got to figure out a way that, okay, this is our personality. This is who we are. This is how we're going to have to prepare. This is how we're going to have to play. Now, they're figuring out that some ways in terms of the conservative approach to the offense, the not throwing the ball, the you know all of that, you know, relying on the defense much more and, and special teams. They may have to also start looking at how they practice and how they uh, how they get guys that maybe aren't going to be able to handle the whole. Let's take a lot of notes and and 
in the you know position meetings and figure you know translate that to the field. You know, everybody's not Robert Woods and Khaled, you know, Holmes and Matt Barkley. Um, all right, let, excuse me. Let's move on to Brian. And this was a question that I think a lot of people are asking. Matt Barkley denied it, but maybe you can get your thoughts on what's going on. He wants to know, is Matt Barkley hurt? And if not, is it Kiffin just not trusting Barkley, Woods, Lee, Grimble, Aguilar, Farmer, or anyone else in the passing game right now? Well, it's certainly, I think the one thing you can say is Lane Kiffin doesn't want Matt Barkley to get hurt. I mean, he's twice now said he doesn't want Matt taking um, any more uh, shots than he has to. And he is very proud that that Matt took many fewer hits than than Keith Price did. And there's no doubt about that. Now, obviously, Keith Price was taking off and running down the field, and he was they were looking for him, and he was asking for him, and they were frustrated, and they, they finally, you know, they got him. They got him a couple of times. Uh, he got sacked five times, and, you know, when he, even when he took it downfield, he didn't get away with, uh, you know, get away unscathed, whereas, uh, you know, Matt got sacked just twice. Now, I know um, if you talk, was it Josh Shirley, I guess the kid that did sack him once, talked about Matt being immobile and that they were really trying to get their linebackers to uh, – to force him to change his reads and uh, things like that. So uh, you know they're focusing, they're focusing on Matt, but they're not really, they're not even now. They're not really getting to him other than that pedal breakdown at Stanford. But uh, it certainly looks like Lane is trying to protect him now. The only thing I know is he doesn't really show it at practice game or day to day, week to week. You you can watch him and watch him and watch him, and you think I don't really see anything. But there are plays and there are throws that you wonder, oh, is he okay? you know, he says he's not. He absolutely says he's not. Now, whether that's, you know, I still remember when he was a freshman and I game after game, week after week, I said, Matt, you're not throwing the ball. You're not throwing the ball. You're just, you're kind of, you know, flipping it. You're kind of, well, there's absolutely nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong. What was it? I think six days after the season, he had surgery on his right wrist, you know. So he wasn't going to tell us. He isn't going to tell us now. Uh, and it isn't absolutely obvious, but there are times, and then like, like Saturday, I think the one time on the busted play on the roll, on the uh, boot, Matt took off and I thought ran really well. There was another play, I guess his first sack, where he was trying to run away from somebody and he didn't run away, he didn't run away from him at all. I mean, they, he made no progress and they caught him. I can't remember which Washington kid that was. But caught him without any any uh, any problem at all. So, yeah, it looked like he could have thrown the ball away on that instance too, and he didn't do that. Either. That one too, also. And so, so that one was puzzling. I, I, it just looked like he slowed down, and I don't I don't have a good conclusion about that. I mean, you can stand we're standing right next to him after the game. He doesn't look like there's anything wrong with him, other than he's not very happy. But um, it's not obvious to us. Uh, you don't see any extra, you know, pads, any extra, you know, tape, any extra anything. I mean, you just, there's nothing that's given anything away, but something doesn't look right. I I can't, I absolutely can't tell you what what that something is. Okay, uh, let's move on. I thought this was an interesting uh, voicemail question. I'll let you handle this one, Dan. Here you go. Yeah, I've been a Trojan fan since 1962. I just want to say how disappointed I am in the offense. I mean, they're just unable to put teams away, just unable to put teams away. And 
When Barkley threw his pick, they should have kept the ball on the ground and kept running over him. If you'll look at Alabama, Alabama's using John McKay's offense, which is find a stud running back or two, and you just pound the ball. And that's what I'd love to see, Trojan football, student body right, student body left. You know, if we went back to that, we could control the ball, we can control the game. Um, just, um, yeah, I'd like to also see more people play, like Junior Palme. I'd like to see him out there more. I'd like to see... Um, um, I'd like to see Farmer play more. I'd like to see some more playing by some other people. You know, they claim that these people can't line up right, but yet they've got Andre Walker out there stumbling and bumbling and fumbling through the thing. So, you know, I don't know. It just seems like he's, uh, you know, just picking selective players to play and just kind of dogging other people. And having coached, I know if you get the whole team excited, the whole team fired up, the whole team involved, you got a better team. Also, Looking at these BCS standings, I want to draw your attention to the computer ranking. The way these numbers are set up, if you're not in the SEC, you have to go undefeated to get into that game. I mean, the thing is totally rigged, and I don't know why the press isn't over it, all over it more. This thing is fixed. That's about it. Fight on. Hey, uh, great points. Uh, uh, Grab that, knock that BCS one off. The computer rankings are absolutely ridiculous. Those people should, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't go into all the different ones uh, and, and and will will today. And, uh, you know, I like, uh, you know, there's one or so in there I do really like usually. But uh, uh, to have not penalized anybody in the SEC for playing the schedules they play and to have not rewarded, for example, an Oregon State for the way they've manhandled, you know, Wisconsin and uh, Brigham Young and Arizona and people like that is it's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it's just uh, it's a complete joke. Those things don't even reflect uh, reality whatsoever. Uh, and the reality of some of those SEC schedules to this point has been ridiculous. And uh, so a uh, uh, good point. As to Alabama, I think if USC had Trey Madden, you would see a team that looked like John May, John McKay's teams. Uh, he looks like an Alabama running back. Uh, they really don't have anybody quite like that. I mean, I think the thing with shock people is tough and as hard as, as Silas Red runs, for example. When you're standing next to him, you realize, man, I'm not too big. I think I'm bigger than Silas. Silas is not a, a, a big, big, powerful guy as hard as, it, as he runs and as tough a kid as he is and as as talented as he is and all that kind of thing, he's probably not the kind of guy, and the offensive line isn't the kind of offensive line that you find in the SEC. I mean, at least at Alabama, let's say. They're just they're not constructed that way. They're not constructed like you know John McKay's teams were, uh, even though they seem to want to play that way. Um, but uh, uh, I, and I. I just, you know, on the, on the pass that you talked about, I don't know whether they should have passed or not on that play. They should have thrown it two counts sooner than the ball was released. There's no question. And he was open two counts sooner. And it was just one of the worst uh, reads and deliveries and, uh, and that, that that you've seen from Matt. Uh, don't know if it's because they're not doing enough. Um, uh you know, and they're they're getting out of a kind of a rhythm and the ability to read those as you, as you go down. But, uh, uh, you know, in, in the game, and then you pull one of those pass plays out. But 
I think the other thing I think the difficulty, and they went, they tried to go, for example, with just one tight end. You know, Randall Telfer didn't come around, and you know, I know they tried to get other guys ready, um, and decided, you know what, our best bet there might be, you know, put number eighty-four on Max Turk and let him play, you know, tight end and, and block, and 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 uh, Xavier Grimmel won't have to play every single play. Uh, that could be a problem, and, and the fact that. The goal now seems to be shortened games, fewer plays. You know, they only ran 60 uh, Saturday, and they, they were down at the bottom of the Pac-12 already at 66 a game, and then they go in and run 60, and they think, you know, this is what we want. Well, you're only running 60 plays. There's really not a lot of opportunity to get Junior Palme and, uh, uh, and George Farmer and all those guys in the games. It's just, I mean, they aren't able to throw the ball to Marquise Lee. Why would you? Well, what does it matter if George Farmer's in the game, you know? I mean, if you can always throw, you know, complete two passes to Marquise Lee, uh, you don't need a third receiver. Uh, so there are some issues. There's no question. The personnel thing, it's uh, a strategy of shortening games. I mean, if, if your two strategies for your program is to recruit the best players in the country and to bring them here, and to really get them, you know, folk, you know, featured, and even when they're freshmen, the second strategy is to cut down the number of plays in a game so that you shorten the game. Those two don't exactly work together. They do, though, for a guy like Leonard Williams. You know, when you get him starting and you get him on the field and you're going to depend on defense, that's one thing. But they don't exactly, you know, give opportunities for the, you know, uh, Nelson Aguilar's of the world to uh, – to make a breakthrough in their freshman season. Yeah, and uh, uh, JV, he's an SC alum from 97, had the same thing on George Farmer, so you addressed that. So thanks for talking about that. It's a good point. If you only have 10 completions and two to leave, then there's not going to be a lot of room for other guys. Um, uh, Russ in Plain City, Utah, wants to know, does USC need to win with more style points? And I think that's kind of the, the question, I guess, a lot of the USC fans that are not really happy with the victory, even though this team is five and one and you know a top 10 team people aren't really happy with like you said shortening the game and and playing for the fewest amount of plays when you have this much talent does do you think that usc does need to win with more style dan they do for the fan base i think uh for a lot of them i think it's a it's a really high risk strategy if they win every single game from here on out they do not people will laud lane as the genius of all time that he is uh the uh you know, the, the John McKay reborn. He is everything USC ever wanted in a football coach if they win every single game from here on out, including the conference championship game and the national championship game. Then this will be the greatest strategic move, you know, in the history of the world or certainly college football. Uh, if they don't, this will not work all that well I don't think with the fan base uh, it's it's a gigantically you know where you're trying to play lower risk for your team it's gigantically risky for the coach because this will not if they get beat this is not going to play well so this is a strategy now designed to they have to win every single game because when you're basically saying you know it's all about winning you better win. If you take away all of the preseason buildup for Matt Barkley 
and uh, Robert Woods and uh, and Marquise Lee, and you know we're going to have this pro style, you know, cutting edge uh, state of the art passing attack, and then that's gone. Um, you have one other thing to do. You better win, baby. You know, Al, former USC assistant coach Al uh, Davis said it best. <laughs> they have no other choice at this point. You know, you gotta. This has got to be a strategy designed that. You know, we're, essentially, they're saying to themselves, we're not going to lose any more games. I think the fan base is most upset. If, if USC was undefeated, if it was 6-0 and at, the point, at this time, I think it would make more sense because it did seem like this sort of strategy, you know, they didn't score in the second half against Stanford. It looked very similar to what you saw against Washington where they end up getting the win. And I think that's what people can relate this strategy to losing you know at stanford so i think that's probably what people have the biggest beef about i guess with this this strategy and it's interesting because i think for lane's from lane's point of view this is the anti-stanford this is a strategy built on running the ball and forcing your will on somebody and not just trying to throw it enough to get another score so which is what i think he thought they did at stanford that they came out up 14 to 7 threw the ball Total breakdown in the, you know, uh, pass blocking, total breakdown in all their assignments, total breakdown in their execution. They got worse and worse and worse and worse, and they stuck with it. Just let's hope, let's hope, let's hope. Maybe we can get one more. Maybe somebody will catch the ball. Maybe somebody will be open. And I think they've looked at that and said, not a, no, no more. Uh, we've got to be more physical, and we've got to, you know, cut down on the mistakes, or if the mistakes happen, like at Stanford, we don't want our quarterback getting absolutely throttled every time there's a mistake. So I think I think actually where the negativity is coming to some extent from the Stanford game, uh, from the fans, Lane is looking at the Stanford game and saying, we don't want that to ever happen again, and he's going against what he thought – uh, was happening in the Stanford game. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of like two people, you know, you're looking at the opposite side of the, you know, the, it's kind of a, uh, you know, a situation that to the fans reflects one way. To Lane, it, it reflects a different picture. And uh, it'll be interesting how this works out. I mean, everybody's certainly not on the same page. And we're not sure where the players are either. Uh, you're really talking, when you talk to, you know, Matt and Robert and, and, um, and Marquise, after the game, you're talking to some conflicted people. I mean, it totally does not seem like everybody's bought in and everybody's on the same you know, page about this whole direction that they're going. Uh, not on offense, anyway. Why not? Yeah. Uh, let's go to AG. He commented about something that you wrote after the game. He quoted you saying, these players just don't seem to want to do what they're being asked to do. And he said, it's hard to believe this comment would just come out of nowhere. So I wanted to ask if this quote was indi- indi- uh, an indication that uh, anything that was going on in practice, that's from AG. You know, I don't know so much in practice. It's, it's not so terribly obvious uh, uh, as it becomes in games like Saturday, for example. But uh, I mean, I think the biggest issue is, uh, you know, the way, obviously, Robert wants you to throw the ball to him. Matt wants to throw the ball to Robert. Marquise wants to make every play he can make. And they're being pretty much said, no, nah, not this time. 
or, you know, Marquise goes the whole first quarter and they don't even look at him. I mean, the only time he touched it was on the, the kickoff return, I guess. And so that's really hard. When you've got guys that, you know, clearly, uh, I don't think even now anybody debates whether those are the best, you know, two receivers in college football and that they're just sort of inching along with, you know, two catches and five catches, first time ever in their, you know, careers together. They didn't have a double-digit day. And, you know, when you talk to them, it's like, oh, those days are in the past, you know, when we used to catch all those passes. And, you know, I mean, here's Robert about to, you know, break the, uh, uh, you know, career record for pass catching. And yet it's like he's talking about somebody who used to play for USC and doesn't still play for USC. Um, and, and, and maybe, yeah, you know, practice wise, um, you might not see them, you know, doing as much as they used to, you know, because they're doing different things and they're, they're approaching it differently. So, uh, um, practices are, are a little different. And, and again, they're a little more, you know, this is the high school coach again, and me, you know, a little more cerebral than I would like them to be. I, I think I'd kind of like to see them. More physical, not in certain, necessarily in the hitting part of it, but in the playing full speed, practicing full speed, practicing under pressure, uh, not being allowed to jump off sides, not being allowed to you know false starts, all that kind of thing. Uh, that would be my my take on on where I'd like to see it go. But uh, you know, all I all we do is stand there and watch and try it. <laughs> Um, David in the OC says, Dan, do you think that maybe the lack of practice in the spring and summer for Matt Barkley has made the USC passing game weaker? He It was a little bit longer question, but he was talking about that they were given some younger guy reps. Do they, do they need to practice him more during this offseason to, to help him now? I, I don't think so. I think Matt gets plenty of opportunity. And Matt and Robert were so good working on their own, even Robert, I'm not sure if he was totally supposed to be, but they figured out ways to get together uh, in the summer. And uh, I, I don't think that would ever be a part of the equation. I, you know, somebody mentioned the fact that, you know, they've gone two straight years without bulls, And so that took away 15 practices each year. And that may be, a, you know, a cumulative hit on the, the team as a whole. On the ability, uh, I'll tell you what has hurt him more than anything is Andre Walker pretty much wasn't available. I mean, he wasn't a left tackle last year uh, uh, and wasn't available almost all of August. I mean, he basically, you know, wrote in, uh, you know, after those couple of injuries that we never knew what they were until he finally came back and then, you know, kind of wrote in the last week and now he's out there. And I think that hurt him. Probably more than anything, uh, it, it was the fact that uh, that uh, he uh, he just didn't get a chance to play with you know with the team, and the fact that they really got uh, they missed some guys, and they had to take some people where there's probably not as much competition as you'd really like, and as much depth and as much uh, versatility, and uh, they're kind of locked into what they can do on that offensive line. And it's not like you've got a lot of people really pushing people, um, you know, to, uh, you know, to make guys, you know, really, really play at a, at a higher level. It's just, it's pretty much decided who's going to have to play. I mean, when you're down to the place, you know, at the Sanford game, when, you know, 
two injuries and you almost can't make a play. Uh, you really don't have enough depth and, and you don't have enough guys ready to play. And, and that's still the case. Uh, let's see. Let's, we'll turn it up a little bit here. I mean, we've there's been kind of a lot of downer questions, Dan. Julian in Pacific Palisades uh, wrote a whole bunch about this by saying that this team is 5-1 and one and could easily be 6-0 and oh if uh, – uh, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Someone Vanuku catches that pass in the, uh, in the end zone in the Stanford game. Isn't that kind of obvious the problem with this USC offense is simply penalties? It's not just the, the quantity of penalties, but also the quality – uh, exceptionally bad timing on a lot of these penalties. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part. That's a part of it. There's no question. I think it's a part of the uh, a general feeling that they really don't exactly have a finished product here in any way. And some people would like to see them run more plays and go more to the uh, you know the guys that can really have been proven playmakers. And other people say. But one breakdown, and that won't matter. So why why keep trying that? Let's just concede that we don't have people who can make plays every play uh, all the way through the lineup. We don't have 11 guys on offense that can really get the job done, and we're going to have breakdowns. And so let's build the breakdowns into our uh, system so that we we figure them out in advance and we don't ask too much because we don't want to get our quarterback clobbered and we don't want to do this and we don't want to do that. It kind of is it a negative way? Maybe. Uh, does it approach? You know, say, oh, okay, now they're an SEC team. They're, uh, you know, they're like Alabama. But if you listen to uh, Nick Saban, you got to give him credit. You know, he may not be somebody you want to pal around with, uh, but he's a tough guy. And basically, what he says about, you know, he talks about balance on offense and all that kind of thing. But what he says, the key for them offensively is discipline they do the right thing every play with every guy discipline they make the choice they make it's discipline on coaches too they make the choices they cut down choices they don't do a whole lot of things a lot of times uh but and they're a younger team this year and he said that's more challenging for them to have that kind of discipline but it's not the discipline you see on this usc football team and that's the question, I think, and the tension right now is you're going to cut down, you're going to be more conservative, you're going to be more uh, uh, run-oriented, but how do you run the ball third and 18, you know? And if you're going to constantly get penalties that put you into those situations, you get into big games, what are you going to do then? Uh, so does this USC team have the ability all the way through to become that kind of a successful team Uh as long as it's committing the kinds of penalties and and, and mistakes that it, you know that it's making right now, it's a it's a dilemma. I, I think the coaches really aren't sure which you know which way to go. Uh, you know, I think there probably would be ways that you could throw the ball and throw it safely uh, and do you, you, but you would have to break away from the uh, you know the the basic you know outline of how you know lane kiffin wants to run a you know a pro set offense and a pro style offense and i don't think he's ready to do that i mean i think that would have been my choice for example the second half against stanford i think i'd have come out throwing the ball like crazy i think i would have done that sooner just deciding we absolutely can't run the ball and we actually can't have a quarterback under center 
because they're picking the center up and throwing him into the quarterback. So what we got to do is something different. But that would have taken a real, um, you know, leap of faith that uh, that you could do that. But this is the kind of team that might be, you know, better suited doing doing something else. But they, you know, this is their choice, and uh, we're going to see how this plays out. But I don't think with double-digit penalties every single game, I don't know that it plays out all that well. Uh, I think they've got to figure out a way to resolve that. So far, they haven't, and they haven't basically even been able to tell you. Uh, that they figured out a way, you know, to resolve the penalty issue. It's 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 a it's a problem. I, I will give you this. This is to me uh, one of the interesting questions somebody asked last week is, could USC have gone with a backup quarterback to Brigham Young, one of the better defensive teams in the country, last weekend, the way Oregon State did, and scored 42 points with the kid, you know, in his first start, and just having throw four touchdown passes, I'm not sure. That's an interesting mindset that they just said, the heck, we don't care who's who's our quarterback. This is how we play. This is who we are. We're going to keep throwing the ball. We're going to keep da-da-da. And they did. Uh, heck of a job by Mike Riley. Uh, the more I think of it, the other question I have is, what if USC does get through the bottom half, you know, the second half of the schedule? Oregon State catches Oregon in that last game and beats them. And what if Oregon State, head of USC now, I don't know if they'd still be, but what if they uh, would uh, get the uh, the home field for the Pac-12 championship game? Ooh. And what if, if all after all this year, people have said, USC doesn't have to go to Corvallis. Wow, that's lucky. What if they did? <laughs> what if? The Pac-12 ended up with, for a second straight year, in really bad weather in tiny Corvallis, in tiny Reefer Stadium, and there the Trojans are in that lovely place that they do so well, Corvallis, Oregon. Who knows? Is that a, is that a good news scenario or a bad news scenario? I'm not even sure. <laughs> but uh, I just the thought just hit me. What if? Wouldn't that be one of the crazier things you could ever even imagine? Certainly would, Dan. Well, hey, one last one before we let you go. This is from Martin, and he wrote along just to remind people, if you write 10 paragraphs in your email, I'm not going to be able to read all that, but the gist of it was he thinks Lane Kiffin should give up on the play calling. We've seen this question a whole bunch of times. I know he addressed it this week, so I thought you might want to mention it real quick. Well, I do think it's hard. I think it's hard. I look at Lane out there, you know, in offensive timeouts, and I see that play sheet that just kind of if he holds it up you can't even see that there's a head on top of his shoulders and and on that and I look at that and I think you know if you're going to be the head coach at the University of Southern California you almost kind of need to have a face that people can see but if you're the play caller you don't want them seeing your face because you don't want them reading your lips and figuring out what the heck you just called it's a real dilemma uh, I think there are times and and there are half times where you probably, you know, don't have enough time to be the head coach and the play caller. I think there are times during games in terms of, you know, injuries and situations. And now they did a great job. For example, they lost the first two guys in the spot that Anthony Brown came in, and they got him in there, and he could not have been cooler on that punt block and that scoop and score. I mean, my goodness, that's your third guy at that same spot. But – those are the kinds of things during games that, you know, 
where you have sudden, you know, changes in personnel and things like that, does the head coach have to be involved in that or make that one comment? But if he's thinking, you know, what's the next play, does he have time to do that? I mean, I always am reminded of the second interception that, you know, T.J. McDonald got in last year and, and ran over to hand it to Coach, uh, you know, Kiffin, and he couldn't get Coach Kiffin's attention because he was calling the plays for, you know, for the next offensive series. And uh, I, I, I think it's difficult. I think it's really difficult to, to do both uh, at this level, and especially when you look at this team. I mean, there's a whole lot of things. You know, do you have enough time to talk to your guys uh, on the sidelines when you're so focused on the next play call and when you've got a team where you're really changing the character of the team and the nature of the team and the approach to games and all that kind of thing on the fly. Uh, and I know Lane said, well, I talked to Matt on the plane coming back and we talk all the time, but I'm just wondering, you know, I know I always was so impressed. I think the first book when I got out as a high school coach, I read Bear Bryant's book on coaching and I, he he had two principles. He said, one, make sure the president of your university is completely on your side. And number two is make sure you are a what a great coach of your coaches. He said your job is to coach your assistant coaches. That's what a, and and you're a leader. But uh, in terms of coaching, you coach your coaches. They coach your players. Uh, it's an interesting, you know, I mean, I always believe in it, and I think he's right, and uh, uh, it will be something that's going to play out here, and we're going to have to pay a lot of attention to it. I'm not sure the personnel on this staff is set up for anything else, but I think uh, it's, it's one of the many issues I think Lane is thinking about. I think he's really thinking about them, uh, and Lane's a smart guy. Lane pays attention to everything. Uh, he's also a stubborn guy, and you want a stubborn guy as a head coach. You can't. You got to be a tough, stubborn guy. It'll be interesting to see how these decisions work out. Certainly will, Dan. Well, thanks again. I know we went a little long, but there were so many questions today. We had to, a lot to get to. But thanks again for coming on the show. We always appreciate your insight. Thank you very much, Ryan. All right. Catch you next week. Yeah, everyone, everyone else, thanks very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.